I was trying to do that outside. Alright, welcome back everybody. This is bonus episode number two with with Shuby and Jason. They're back. You guys demanded it. We brought it to you. And we're going to deliver tonight, as usual. Or try to at least make an entertaining show for all you car guys out there that want to just have something to listen to on your way to work or just just pick up some more knowledge on cars. Sounds like a plan. Enter your coupon code now. <laughs> so I think what we're going to start off here tonight is talking about how with the decrease of uh, heroes in motorsports like Dale Earnhardt, and then he kind of, after his death, how he passed that on to Junior, and then we had Junior Nation for so many years. And now since Junior's retired... And we're not just talking about NASCAR, but, like, there's really no heroes left in motorsports that are willing to beat and bang and destroy their equipment. Sure, there's people like Ryan Anderson, uh, Dennis Anderson's son. He drives Son of Digger. I mean, that guy is out there busting his butt and doing his thing, and he's probably one of the few left that is willing to wreck his equipment to put on a show for the crowd. And I'm not saying that Earnhardt was willing to wreck his equipment, but he was willing to put a bumper to somebody to move him out of the way to get that win. And there's just really not anybody like that in NASCAR anymore. If somebody would do what Earnhardt did today, what Earnhardt was doing, even into the day he died, they'd be fined and suspended. There's an interesting clip that I bumped into here the other day. And I believe it's from 1996. I don't know if there's any way we'd be able to find and link that video. But Daryl Waltrip was basically, he called it back in 1996 when they were talking about closing North North Wilkesboro. Mm -hmm. Um, He was talking about forgetting where they came from. And that they need to remember where they came from. Otherwise, pretty soon support that got them to where they were is going to be gone it's really interesting and he totally called it back then he said i i mean back in 96 this was back in 96 when they were closing one of their smallest their oldest small little tight quarters beaten and banging speedway well and i mean you even look at like drag racing the nrj Excuse me, people. The NHRA. National Hot Rod Association. Yes, for drag racing. Like, I mean, really, they don't do match racing anymore. It's all about the big sponsorships. I mean, to go to a, a race, you're looking at about, we did Vegas for what was it, like 58 bucks that year, Shantae, a ticket? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I mean, so. Yeah, and, and it was an all-day event. Yeah, it, it it was a great thing. I mean, I'd definitely go to one again. But the stands are empty, people, and there's a reason behind that because you don't have people putting on a show. I mean, yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was great to get out there and meet John Force and to do you know to see his daughters because at that time two of two of the three were racing. And she was racing that day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, both of them were Brittany and Courtney, but I mean, now John force is talking retirement. There's really nobody else in drag racing, you know? And like now they're going to this four, like they extended Vegas from two lanes to four lanes. I mean, it's all about this big show, but yet they're not putting people in the stands. Yeah. You need these. I don't want to call them all wild men, but, John Force, you never knew for sure what's going to come out of the guy's mouth. I mean, he he kept every everything exciting. Um, Dale Earnhardt, much more reserved in his talking, but... Not he, so much in his driving. Yeah, he, you weren't quite sure, is he going to work on this guy and wear him out, or is he just going to move him out of the way? Well, and, and that's the, kind of the thing, you know, like, you start looking at, like... Even further back, like Ronnie Sox, you know, Grumpy Jenkins, Dick Landy, Jungle Jim, you know, uh, the Motown Missile, you know, crew. I mean, like, these guys 
would go out there. They didn't want to, like Don Garlitz even, he didn't want to blow up his stuff, but he wanted to put on a show for the fans. It, it was match racing, like, and then there was the pro stock, you know, like some of the names that I mentioned. I mean, like, and if you don't know who Mr. Four Speed Ronnie Sox is, I highly ju- suggest looking him up on YouTube. This guy was an amazing, like, he was one with a four-speed transmission. I saw uh, an ad. Did you see the picture of an ad for their booking uh-uh. to, to book them for match? Well, to book them for match races, they were advertising their booking agent yeah. from right around, I think it was from 1971. And um, they were offering up their 68 or 69 barracuda and then their 71 pro stock cuda to come to the tracks and they said they consistently run in the nines and the interesting thing is that say one of these local tracks to uh bring a big name in they could detune their car yeah and run it say 220 or something yeah. like that it would blow people's minds oh, yeah. at these small I mean, tracks. Like you even look at like where me and Jason drag race at. I mean at uh, top end dragways. Great facility, great people. I'm I'm not saying nothing bad about top end dragways because they they put for us racers, they do a hell of a job out there. I mean, with like if somebody has an accident, track cleanup and stuff, their crew is always top notch. But what I'm getting at is if you could get if they could get a match race because let's face it when we go there there isn't anybody in the stands filling the stands there are usually people that are out there because somebody that they know is drag racing or something they don't you don't have those people just coming there to watch the show the bracket racing and granted it's a bracket show but there, there could still be something done more with you get two top field dragsters or two funny cars, and like you said, detune the cars where they're running 220. That noise and that off the line, putting that thump in your chest would be enough to draw fans in. Well, absolutely. You could catch them when they're at Brainerd. Mm-hmm. And for a certain fee, get them down there, advertise it, have them detune their cars so they don't break anything. So it's going to be a, a minimal cost as they travel back yeah. to wherever they're heading. And you're going to draw people to the stands. I would like to see them have to build more stands. More stands. stands. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. More tracks. Well, e- yeah. even, I mean, like I saw something today. If you're not supporting your local track, that's how a local track dies. And it's very true. I mean, like you... You look at getting some of these big names, like, and I'm not even saying the big name, the biggest name that's out there. I'm not saying bring in the forces or anything like that. I'm just saying some guy, like, and I know it takes a lot of money to run these cars, but get them in there, detune it, get them to run their stuff. Because let's face it, Don Garlitz ran top fuel and never blew blew up a motor just to win a race. The one thing you had mentioned earlier about monster trucks and stuff Mm -hmm. is they are such a novelty item. Um, uh, Or I should really say more like a gimmick. You know, they've they've all got their, you know, their names like El Toro Loco, whatever. Grave Digger, Bigfoot. It's a lot about the the designs on the trucks, too. I mean, you look at great, some of those paint jobs on there. I mean, you don't see NASCAR. They're covered with sponsor stickers. Exactly. I mean. And that goes back to the old match racing where, you know, Jungle Jim's car was painted up with a kind of a cartoon character of Jungle Jim and stuff. I think NHRA some of these guys, they need to take some cues from some of that yeah. and and get back to, you know, maybe, I mean, kids still love Hot Wheels. Oh, they yeah. They still love those cars. If oh. you could bring back, you know, some stuff that related to the little kids, the little kids will drag the parents out to the track yeah. too. Well, just look at how your boys wants to go to a monster truck event. I mean, and monster trucks, when they came to Dickinson, I heard it was sold out. That says something. I mean, like NASCAR and drag racing, the NHRA, the RHRA, they have gotten so many sponsors on these cars now. 
that it's not grassroots racing. Like, there's a YouTube channel out there, Uncle Tony's Garage. Highly recommend it, people. If you want to see an old guy, well, not older guy, I should say. He's not old by no means. But and you're going to make an enemy off this podcast. Uh, and I don't want to make an enemy <laughs> off Uncle Tony. He'd probably whoop my ass. But uh, he he used to run nitro cars back in, like, the late 80s, early 90s. And then when it got too expensive, he got out of it. But, like, he talks about, like, how the average guy back then even could go out and run nitro cars. And there's even a guy, his daughter, Drag Race, is down in uh, top at Top End Dragways. And he used to run a nitro car in the late 80s and early 90s. And he said back then you could get a 55-gallon drum of nitro for about $500. Well, now that same barrel of nitro is going to cost you about $2,500. It's taken it out of the little guy's hand. Because let's face it, I mean, we can work year-round, and we can get probably four barrels of nitro, which would be about $2,000. And we could go out there and run a nitro car for $2,000, plus you figure your parts. That's probably ten fifteen grand a year. And a guy could, a, the average man could do ten to fifteen thousand dollars for your hobby. If you really are passionate about it, you can afford ten to fifteen thousand dollars a year. Well, that's that's saying everything goes right every time. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm saying like you got you got to figure some parts in there. You know, granted, you, realistic, parts, fuel, you're, I pro- mean, you're probably travel. you're probably looking at more of twenty five grand, but still at twenty five grand, the average man. With his buddies and his buddies adding in for this car, you know, you could go out there and you could run against the big boys. You can't do that anymore. I mean, it's it's out of the little guy's hand. You have to have sponsor after sponsor. And, and Well, if the little guy wanted to take on big guy, I mean, big guy's not afraid to break some shit just to win the race to prove a point. He'll have that car fixed by 3 o'clock the next day, you know. Yeah, but... There was a time when the little guy could take on the big guy and still be competitive is what I'm getting at. I mean, and that time is long gone. And it's because of all these sponsors. So what do we got going on up here, Shuby? We're watching some. I'm distracting uh, Jason with some drag racing here. We got some slingshot dragsters, yeah, it looks like. Like back in the day when the little guy was out there doing it. Well, yeah, this is the Jungle Gym, Jungle Pam days, 1970s, you'd say. Oh, I'd say it's even earlier than that. I'd say, well, see, that, that one with twin engines, that, that had to be early 60s, 62, 63 era, wouldn't you All say, right. Jason? Yeah, if, maybe into the mid-60s. Um, if but, they show the fans, check that out. The fucking stands are packed. Yep, exactly. They were packed. And there was people even off the side, you know. Oh, dude, you know. there was people standing in those days. Like, I, I remember my dad... He married my mom in 69, and he had a 63 Impala Supersport when they got married. And they went to the drag races. I forget where it was, if it was like in Minot or wherever the, the point is. The sands were so packed, and they ended up getting there early, so they had seats. Well, as they're coming out after the races, and they still had a few little races left, you know, and they're coming out. There was a guy sitting on the hood of my dad's car. My dad walked Ooh. up to him, and he's like, nice car. And the guy's like, yeah, it's pretty sweet. And, well, you can imagine back in the late 60s how that went. The, the guy didn't fare too well. My dad was a pretty big man, so. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, things come full circle often. Well, hopefully and, uh, this comes back around. I, I think so. I mean, you see this big resurgence with the gassers and the nostalgia stuff. Well, and that's I, still something that the little guy can get into. And that, you watch those shows and there are people attending. I'm There is really good attendance at these shows. Um, it It's just, I think it's, for some people, it's bringing back memories. The other thing is that it's cars that a lot of guys can go out they can well, they can build a car to go out if okay that's that's what i was going to get at okay we're watching this youtube video of just random gas you know gassers drag racing gassers, and I, slingshots and i'm thinking cars. about all right 
these these cars, these funny cars here, no, these can that would be, be a slingshot, a drink. slingshot car. Okay, these can be built, but I'm talking about the old like your car, Roxy, yep. or your car. Uh, you got a Camaro, right? The yep. Dakota Z. Yep. Uh, your dad's car, the Roadrunner. They don't make any of these anymore. No, I mean. If you're not, if you don't have one or if you don't have access to one, I'd say within the next 20 to 30 years, if you don't already own one, you ain't going to find one. Well, that's one thing that there's still a lot of cars out there in barns and stuff. And like I watch a series on YouTube, Barn Find Hunter, and he goes. But as he, time goes on, as I'm saying, yeah, they're going to well, become. No, no, no. It's going to become more and more scarce. And yeah. like that's like one thing that we got into about on our last podcast is about. How like these big corporations and auctions are really taking the car hobby out of the little guy's hand. Then again, you know people and like if you look hard enough, and you really shouldn't have to look hard, but if you look, <laughs> you can find some decent deals out there, people. I mean, Mr. Luthy, if you don't mind telling him about your latest purchase. Uh, as far as the 70 Chevy? Yes, sir. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, we found a, well, I didn't find it, but some good friends of mine, Shuby was one of them, just happened to be hauling a, a similar age pickup and a guy drives up and they start making small talk and find out, well, yeah, he's got one and yeah, he might sell it and wind up pulling out of Montana with a rust-free 1970 half-ton four-wheel drive Chevy pickup. And it's almost like we've said a few times in discussion, it's almost like the thing came out of Arizona. Yeah, I mean, really, it looks like an Arizona pickup. And the, the coolest thing about it is it's been off the road as long as Jason's been alive. So of July wow. of 78, yeah. it's been off the road. And Thank I mean, you for that. Oh, what, what day? In, what day in '78? There, seventh. On the twenty seventh. Wow. wow, we're almost twins. But you know, looking at these videos that we've got playing up here right now, when you see the slingshot drivers or the slingshot cars, the three of us with your welding ability, Shante, yeah, and our mechanical ability, we could make one. We could absolutely oh, make yeah. one. And you want to do it? <laughs> well, that's there's, like you're, ta you're talking Jason's dream right there is operating a front engine dragster. Yeah, if I'm gonna go, fast. where where the hell would you do it though? I mean, is there any tracks around oh, here yeah. that would allow that? The yeah. track we run at, oh, would absolutely. Yeah, they they actually it. had a slingshot dragster there. He did a couple of runs. The car didn't hook very well, so he didn't like pull it out, you know, all the way to the end, but. You know, and, like, talking about, like, something that's affordable that, like, the everyday guy can get into is a gasser. Like, I, I own a gasser. Roxy's a gasser. And, I mean, gassers are based on a closed-body production models from the 1930s to the mid-60s. They're stripped down of weight. They have an I-beam axle or a tubular axle to provide better weight distribution on acceleration. The 33, 36 coupes and willies excuse me, Willie's Coops and Pickups are some of the most very popular gassers out there. And then you get into like any coupe really from like the 30s and 40s were really popular. And I mean, it's, uh, they're just 60 air production that they did in this like late 50s, early 60s. And everybody always talks about one thing too that I'd like to touch on is that it's got to be a straight axle, four speed, and heads up to be a gasser, you know? Bullshit. I'm, I'm going to say it right now. Like, the Southeast gassers, they're probably one of the most period correct thing. But when you start painting aluminum heads and doing sh painted aluminum radiators, how fucking period correct can you fucking be? And that's right. I said it. I don't care if I'm ever allowed at one of their meets. If you're going <laughs> to say period correct, be fucking period correct. Don't be none of this bullshit of fucking painting aluminum heads. And you got small blocks that are making in the excess of 800 horsepower. Bullshit. They never had fucking a small block back in the 60s that made 800 horsepower. Unless it was a fucking blown small block. Maybe it came up to 600, 650 horse. Yeah, if you want to advertise period correct, be 
period, correct. If not, call yourself something else. The nice thing about gassers, the real ones, is that there's so many different classes. You don't need to have a blown big block to no. be, a, be drag racing. I mean, they had guys. all the way to like H to double A gas. I mean, and double A gas was usually your blown light coupes that were cut down. And I mean, and really, gassers kind of evolved too because they talk about them being stripped down. There was a lot of gassers back in the day that had full, like my gassers, a full interior gasser. It was something that somebody could have drove to work five days out of the week. And and then went went racing racing. right afterwards. Yeah, and went racing on the weekends, you know? I mean, like, there was a lot of gassers that did that. I mean, granted, they weren't that competitive, but that's where you do, like, a a lot of the gassers were weight to cubic inches. Like, it was like 10 pounds for every cubic inch that you had to have. So if you had a... 427 big block, your car had to weigh 4,270 pounds, which that made it competitive then because then a guy could have a straight axle and have a four-speed. And and granted, a lot of the reason that they had four-speeds back in the day is because the automatics couldn't take the sheer power of the engines that these people were building even back then because, let's face it, some of those big blocks were making that six seven hundred horsepower you know naturally aspirated and they the automatics would ju- they just shred them yeah it um i kind of had a little bit of a thought and it kind of went away for a while <laughs> it's those damn slingshot cars you're thinking of making one yet aren't you absolutely i am if i'm if i ever get to the point to where they say you have to put a roll cage in that car. I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to park it, and it's going to be, let's get out the welder. Because All right. for me, that's that's the simplest way. They're the simplest thing to work on. Maybe not the simplest thing to dial in, but... Well, I'm sure there's a couple engineering methods that would be useful, as in, you know, like drag and, you know... All that stuff for, you know, aerodynamics, you know, like Pinewood Derby car times a thousand. Yeah. Well, and I'm done having kids. So the fact that you're sitting right on top of the rear end housing uh, (laughs) still still frightens me a bit. But uh, if it dinged up a ding me up a little bit, it, it wouldn't be the end of the world. So it would be fun making it, though. It would be. I would have fun making that. Uh, well, that's where a guy needs a large, flat steel table. I mean, and granted, there's other ways to do it. I get it. So don't judge me. But, I mean, if you're going to be out there making a chassis and that kind of stuff, you got to have a large, flat floor that's perfectly level. Yep. You don't want to You don't want to be off by a fucking... A Quarter fucking, inch, sixteenth of an inch. Oh, even less than that. I mean, because you were going to be using micrometers, freaking angle i mean it's going to be to the nuts that's what i'm getting at you know it's like and to tell you to make a large enough table what are those how long about 15 16 feet you think well they're even longer than that i think some of them are 20 at most um it depends i mean but i guess sky's the limit or is is there a limit or i don't know i think once you get to like about 240 inches yeah it's 20 feet 20 feet. That's about your. I think a lot of them were like. But the uh, slingshots weren't quite that long. Yeah, I think the slingshots were what, like 180 to 196 inch wheelbase? I would say that would. I mean, just guessing people. Cover the bulk of them. Yeah, I was just guessing. So, I mean. So, you're going to need a steel table that long, if not probably a couple feet longer. Yeah. And you can order totally them true. Or, well, you know, whatever. I mean. I don't know if you'd want to order no, one. Not, dude. Not, oh. not the table, but I mean. you could, Like a kit? You could order a cage that, or, you know, the frame that's already all built up. But I'd kind of like somebody that I know having run the welder and oh, put yeah. that thing together. Don't threaten me with a good time. Well. <laughs> that's you, what I do. You know, uh, I don't know who is welding that other one together. So if I'm going to be sitting on it and uh, going 180 or 200, I'd kind of like to have somebody that I know and trust on the other end of that welder. That would be good for me. 
Well, yeah, I could do that for you. I've been welding a few years. I kind of know my way around it. Those slingshots and then the original gasser. What else you got there, Shuby? You mixing a drink? Yes, I have to mix a drink. I'm a little parched. You did a lot of talking. That was pretty good. Sorry if I distracted you there, Luthley, with these cool videos. And no, okay. it, it's awesome background to have here. It's inspiring. Well, I was kind of wondering what was going on next because I was like, well, I could get that up on the computer. We could have some well, you, images. What, what do we want to go to? Uh, Man, I'm still waiting for that whole Y2K thing to go down. Well, we're, we're back in the 20s now, so the jitterbug and the... Charleston Ooh, and all time. those crazy dances and music is going to come back. Some of my favorite music. Yes. Hey. I'm almost done with my Y2K rashes. Hey, maybe since we're back in the 20s, should we go back to board track racing? I'm not getting into that. Somebody <laughs> else. I'm just saying. Somebody like, else can do that one. Like That's when men were way too stupid for their own good. I mean... I so what, what what kind of racing it elaborate? Should I look it up? Oh, board track racing? Yeah. It's where they ran motorcycles that were pretty much bicycles with engines on them on these tracks that were made out of wood and like a lot of the tracks were known as widowmakers, I think, or something oh, yeah. like that because like so many people got killed. They had no brakes on the motorcycles. Yeah. They had to just slow down and, and finally coast to a stop. Oh, and didn't they like when they stopped and they kill the engine, then kick it in gear? Probably they they had to come up with some way of stopping them. Yeah. But I mean, it was before pavement well, was yeah. really a feasible option. You got to realize one thing, Shantae. These motorcycles were doing a hundred miles an hour plus with no brakes on wood, and the guys had. You remember the old bomber helmets? The well, leather, I'm not finding anything here. Leather bomber helmets. Board. Board. Like, like oh, a, board. Like, yeah, like a... Yeah, there you go. Yeah. This one? Yep. Yeah, that is scary. All right, let's talk about board track racing. Well, I don't really know much about it. We're not prepared. So. Oh, okay. Well, that's just some background I, shit we got going on. <laughs> well, we what we can do is we can elaborate on board track racing a little bit is how fucking dangerous it was and if, like, you really have no set of brains or you just want to show how manly you are with no set of brains, go build mm -hmm. yourself one of those board tracks and get an old freaking twenties Harley or Indian or, uh, well, I think to be fair to these guys, they did not know better. Well, no, no, no. I, I agree with you. They did not know better, but I mean, to do it now, you'd be a dumb motherfucker. You'd have to be, you'd have to be, Oh, I, well, I, I, I don't, don't know. Like, These guys don't look the brightest, and they're on a, they're on wood. They're on, they're on fucking. Yeah, isn't that an amazing creation? That considering that's all wood, that's a lot of freaking. That's like somebody's hardwood, like a hardwood floor. Yeah, only like all a the, quarter mile long, and all this stuff is built on edge. You can see it. It's like a bowling it's like, alley. Well, like a NASCAR. Yeah, it's got a bank to it. Yeah, it's got a bank. Holy shit, man! This—that's—I've never heard of this. This is some crazy shit. Yeah. Uh, you guys check it out. Board B O A R D. I thought it was bore. Uh, with motorcycles, these crazy motherfuckers are wearing like pigskin helmets. Indian winds. All right, on to the next. Yeah. That was a good little oh, sidetrack. Oh, well, what do you want to do? You guys want to do clones? Your tributes, or you uh, want to do engine maintenance, or? I'd rather talk clones. Yeah, I was just going to say, okay. what are we talking about when we say clones here? Here, well, you want to? We want to take a little break here and have him go over this stuff real quick. Me? I I could kind of run off the top of my head on clones. Yeah, let's see. What um, are clones? Okay, the basic idea of clones that's taking a base car, like say, I'll give one example that would be. Uh, using a Plymouth satellite and you turn it into a Superbird, which was the pointy nose cone, the big wing, what na they ran in NASCAR. So what guys will do is they'll take a donor car, which was not an original, and they will buy kits or maybe find NOS parts, new old stock parts, and they'll create a clone which looks every bit as original as the real deal. But 
It's not. It's not. A fraction of the price to build. I was actually just reading something today where how hot Mopars is, since you t- touched on that subject, they were actually talking about uh, Hemicuda. To get a 1970 or 71 Hemicuda, you're looking at minimum of $200,000 plus. Well, if you find yourself a 1970 or 71 Barracuda, which they came all the way from slant sixes, 318s, whatever, you know, you can pick yourself up a very nice one, you know, that's, you know, needs a little bit of work, but yet still maybe runs and drives for about fifteen to 25000 Well, you know, you do some work on that, you know, you buy yourself a crate Hemi for 20000 Well, now you got one that is just as good as any original, if not better, as performance and looks wise and fit and finish, but you're right at that fifty thousand dollar mark. Well, let's face it, the average Joe that's out there busting his butt five days a week can afford a fifty thousand dollar car. You can't afford a two hundred thousand plus dollar car. Well, and the thing with clones is that if if you, they find out, you'd be made fun of. Well, <laughs> some people really look down on it like it's, oh, that's just fake. But you can take it out and drive it and have fun, yeah. appreciate yeah. it. And if you do hurt it, it's not irreplaceable. So that's where I, my uh, where I'd be a proponent of clones is that or tributes is that you're making this car that's going to draw attention. It's going to make some kids smile, going to make some old guys turn their heads. And you can go out there, drive drive it like you stole it if you want, and have a blast. If something gets hurt, it, you fix it up or you can buy the pieces to make it right again. Well, and like with you touched on one thing, how some people look down on that. You know, it's like, where's their real deal muscle car? You know, like most of the people that look down on it don't even fucking have an old car. And it's like, well, I can't afford that stuff. It's like, well, this is why you get clones and tributes is because they're cheap, efficient way to have what the real deal was meant for. But let's face it, back in the 60s, like ordering this stuff was not cheap back then, even though that we look back on those prices and we're like, well, how could they not get a 71 convertible Hemi or Hemi uh, Cuda, you know? I mean, well, it was one of those deals where that was, what, $6,000 car back then? $6,500 yeah. car? That was an expensive car. You got to think the average car was probably going $2,500 to $3,500 was the average price of a car. Well, now you just added another three grand onto that. Yeah, you over doubled it. And... It's interesting because, like, in the musical instrument industry, they do reissues. Mm -hmm. They try to make as close of a copy to the originals as they can, and they sell extremely well. And Those aren't really cheap either, though. No, they aren't cheap, but in comparison to a real deal, you're looking at... Considerably cheaper. Way cheaper. I mean, you could buy say, a beautiful reissue for, like, a, a beautiful reissue of a 59 Les Paul for $3,200. If you wanted to buy a real 1959 Les Paul, it might cost you two to 300000 Anyway, yeah. in the car industry, there is no such thing as a reissue unless somebody outside of the industry goes and makes it. Well, like, now they're making Tri-5s. I've heard the 69 Camaros. They're making uh, 67 or 68 Mustangs and, like, the 65 Mustangs. Uh, I'm sure that there's a place that makes a body for a Mopar, Roadrunner or something, maybe. I mean, if not, it's coming. I mean, somebody's going to be doing that because, let's face it, Mopars are really hot right now. I mean, they have been for quite a while. Granted, they're not bringing as much money as they once did, but the whole automotive industry as collector wise goes isn't bringing as much money as it used to be and i think a lot of that you know to retouch on the subject is these big car auctions 
I think have really taken the piss out of a lot of freaking people's wallets and there's nothing left in there to freaking be buying these high dollar cars for. Well, they'll ride that as long as they can and until it's dry. Yeah, pretty much. And I think they're in some ways getting to that point. I've looked at some recent auction sale results and there are cars that are not even coming close to their estimate what they should bring yeah so it's to me a sign of either the interest is drying up which i think that might be a pretty big part of it or they've just um um they've just kind of lost lost the base that they had you know well now like uh like you buying that 70 chevy okay it's k10 factory four-wheel drive been sitting since 1978 over 40 some years okay after you've done your inspection and all that stuff of the motor do you believe as i believe that it was an alternator that took that vehicle and made it parked I would say at this point, yes, I am about 98% sure that it got parked because the alternator went kaput. Okay. Now, when you have that pickup up and running, brakes working and all that stuff, what do you think total investment, just to have it be able to run and drive down the road, will be? With the initial cost of buying it yes and whatever i have to put into it just to get get it it running and driving to where it runs drive starts stops down the road i'd say somewhere around two thousand five hundred roughly twenty five hundred dollars roughly okay now people with that in mind if you want an old vehicle there is ways to get into it there is nothing wrong with a 70 two-wheel drive four-wheel drive whatever i mean any whatever makes you happy and that you can find at a reasonable price go out there get it and start working on it i mean that's what this whole hobby is about is making something cool that is going to turn a little kid's head and scare an old lady well yeah you don't have to go to the fancy auction you can go scrounging go on these basically safaris that and, we go on every once in a while yeah and let me tell you something me and jason we went have these on a parts pickup because he needs some parts off of it and i need some parts off of it we got a 69 one ton four-wheel drive out of a scrapyard they are still in scrapyard people and we only paid 250 dollars, not a piece together we paid 125 dollars a piece for this pickup they are out there you got to be searching at your scrapyards and going to your local junkyards and saying, hey, if this body style of pickup or whatever you're looking for comes in, give me a call. And most of these scrappers, they don't want to see that shit crushed. But there's people that they, they've had enough with it, they're fed up with it, they don't give a fuck anymore. They're bringing that to the scrappers, and these scrappers are taking it and just, like, they're reselling it for scrap to you. I mean, you can get those deals. Yeah, they would absolutely set it aside give you a phone call and sell you sell it to you for scrap price because a lot of these guys they don't like seeing that stuff crushed and if there's nobody out there seeking this i mean they can't fill up their whole lot so eventually at some point they're gonna have to crush it out just to get rid of it i remember stories that my dad told me of Back in the early 70s where him and his friends, there were cars. There was, I think, like 4-H groups, different groups would get together and collect up scrap cars. And a crusher would come in and then the proceeds would go to their fund. And him and his buddies went out and they were pulling every piece of trim that they could find, anything usable, off these cars before they hit the crusher. And I mean, there were 55, 56, 57 yeah. Chevys. Nice. You imagine how I, many went through that crusher. Oh, Not yeah, even well, just there, just everywhere. Th- think about oh. uh, pre war or, oh. or during the wartime. Well, the war, when they the, needed the, the steel. Yeah, the wartime effort. 
you wouldn't believe how many pre-war cars got crushed for the war effort. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of cars got crushed and melted down. Granted, we were in World War II, but if you don't believe me, look up your history on cars. They crushed the shit out of cars then. Well, a lot, I mean, coming from a rural area like we do, a lot of the farms got cleaned out at that time. Uh, they came came around and collected up. They were in desperate need of steel. They needed iron. Yeah. So even if the car was running and usable, or was it just the ones that you see lined up on the fence line or so? Most likely the stuff okay. you see lined up. I thought yeah, they are commandeer your cars. Like, well, we need it all. No, we need not. it all. Well, <laughs> you, you look around this area, you know, in rural North Dakota, the 1920s, 30s, the cars just aren't around here. Why? Because when they brought the crusher, I mean, we live in a very patriotic community. And I'm not saying that there's a lot of communities out there that aren't patriotic. I know a lot of communities out there are patriotic, but they did whatever they could around here. I remember my grandpa telling me, you know, how it, whatever it did for World War II, you know, my great uncle, he was a, a young teenager then. And he wasn't old enough to go into the war, but it was whatever it did. I mean, you rationed your gas. You say, you know, they would save what they could. And when they brought into town, you know, they may buy three patch kits for their tires or bring three tires in to get patched that they needed on the farm. But every tire was patched. You couldn't get a brand new tire then. Well, and a lot of these guys that went when they got their check from or their cash from scrapping out these vehicles, they'd turn around and buy war bonds to support the effort. Yeah. So it, it was, yeah, it was very patriotic, but it was the demise of many, well, many pre-war vehicles. When you look at, like, how many pre-war vehicles are here versus post-war vehicles from, like, the late 40s to early 60s that people hung on to and say, even late 60s and early 70s, let's say. Let's go from... Late 40s to early 70s. A lot of people in rural North Dakota, you can go out and just driving on back country roads, you can find these vehicles sitting at people's farms. Granted, I would not walk out there without going up and talking to them first because it's a good way to get your ass chewed if not shot at. But, I mean, you got to just knock on a door, make a friend, you know. That is... That is one extremely good piece of advice for anybody out there that's going car hunting. If you can, when you're driving by, see if there's a name on the mailbox. Try to look up a phone number. If it's got a posted sign, look on the posted sign. In North Dakota, you have to sign your posted sign. Look for the name. And we all got smartphones, people. Look up the goddamn name that you can find an address on a, on a smartphone. If you can't, come by an old shoebie will hit you in the head with a tack hammer. It's really easy. It's an easy way to make a friend. <laughs> it's a really easy way to make an enemy. Exactly. Yes. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if it's right off the beaten path and people can see you. People are going to get pissed off if you walk onto their property looking at these old cars because they've probably had parts stolen off of their cars over the years and they're fed they're fed up with it they're sick and tired of it well they probably think you're casing the joint yeah i mean well look at my gtx yeah there was a utility company out doing work in the neighborhood they asked about this particular car and within about two weeks i just went up to just kind of take a peek at it see how it's looking and the door's setting open well, one of those guys that was told, no, don't go over there, must have went over there, opened the door, and the door latch is sticky, so they couldn't get it latched again. And That's the way they left it. Yeah, that's the way they left it. So, And that's just not cool, people. I mean, let's all have respect for one another out here in the car industry because you can meet some really cool people with just a little bit of respect. I mean, look, the, the guy that you ended up getting your 70 Chevy from, Super cool guy. I mean, the guy has cars upon cars. I actually went, okay, short short little story. I bartended down in Lemon, South Dakota for a festival they had going on. It wasn't Gay Pride Week, was it? 
No. <laughs> she would be able to brought you with. Well, <laughs> obviously, but I mean, you know, maybe maybe maybe, maybe, we're, maybe we're not on the best of terms then, you know? <laughs> this is a while back. I was bartending back in my bartending days, and I uh, bartended down in Lemon, and this guy and this wife come in. I had to make her a dirty martini, first martini I ever had to make ever. And uh, this guy, I guess, owns a warehouse full of cars, old freaking cars. He had a 67 GTO. I'm like, Ooh. he's like, yeah, it's my son's. He's like, you want to come see it? I'm like, yes, <laughs> please. And uh, he took me to his shop, and, you know, somebody else watched the bar. They're like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I went, to, he had, I'd say at least 50 cars old cars in there and he's like yeah my wife she wants me to you know get rid of them but no nope these are mine like i don't blame you i don't blame you one bit and this is pretty much what we ran into when we got the guy we got your pickup from i mean super cool guy yeah he he just he likes working on stuff and that's what he wants to do and i mean he's got the money to do it i mean by all means if i had the money to not give a crap and do what I wanted to. I could piss off some people in the process. Well, I'd do it too, you know, but I'd also make some good friends in the process. And I think that's what people like that guy do, you know? Well, he just, he was so happy to have someone at the bar, you know, start talking to him about, you know, so like, I, I love that car. And he's like, well, I got one. Wow. I'm like, really? It's like, yeah, you want to come see it? I'm like, well, all right, let's go. Well, I think they're running into, their kids, the next generation, isn't really interested. That's exactly what he said. And he then, goes, they have no interest. I'm like, oh. And then they bump into someone that has interest, and they they make a connection and kind of grasp onto that, yeah. and they're like, here, wait a second. I'm going to go show you something. And, this and then is he's like, and then look at this, and now look at this. I'm like, holy. I can't, I can't name all the cars he had in there, but I was there for that one, and I'm like, you know. And then I... It kind of got me excited. Like, well, is he thinking of maybe selling it to me? Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. well, you know, let's make a deal, oh man. Well, that's the thing. A lot of these, I notice I use the, that's the thing a lot. But that is the thing. Um, a lot of these guys, they have no one to pass it on to. Their wife wants nothing to do with them. And you don't know I mean, maybe if you stay in contact with the guy. Oh, it's been years. And he's probably gone by now. Well, do you still know how to know how to make a dirty martini? No, I don't. That oh, was my man. one and only dirty martini. Well, I had to make a few throughout the night for her, but never had to do it again. Is it just like a martini that you make when you don't wash your hands, or how do you do this? Uh, I think you. I, or was she just There's dirty and, a, and then you just made her martini and threw it to her and being like, it's dirty now, baby. You yeah, got this. I, I make it dirty for you. <laughs> um, like, and then you, you know, like from that older generation, you know, that I would say was born in like the fifties to early sixties, you know, that like can remember when these cars were new, you know, like your dad, for example, they're just an old car to him. Like, I mean, like granted he sees the value in them. Don't get me wrong. But like, like your Camaro or his Roadrunner, they're just an old car that he bought when they were a used car. Yeah, they aren't the, they aren't. To them, it doesn't get their heart pumping like it does ours. Yeah, like a door opens and we see something that we never thought we were going to see, and all of a sudden, I mean, we're starting to lose our mind because I never thought that this was going to be in that place. Yeah. All right, the wife brought me the, the dirty martini. One and a half fluid ounces of Smirnoff vodka, one splash of olive juice. In the shaker with ice, add Smirnoff vodka and olive juice. Shake and strain into a martini glass. Garnish with olive. How many parts dirty? Oh, it's, I just think just because there's vodka and olive juice in it makes it dirty. Well, <laughs> now you know, people, how to make a dirty I martini. I will never drink one ha- of them. Happy Hour News team, the bonus episodes is here for you. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll stick with the here. Jack Daniels we're, right we're, now. And the resource. I mean, look at the info- information resource. Didn't yep. even have to ask. We have normally have to ask Siri or Alexa or something. Well, I could have looked it up right here. I got a laptop right in front of me, but. 
you know, I still, it, it's, you know, instead of just looking it up, if everybody, if I, that's all they did was instead of ask questions, just look it up, there would be no more conversation in the world. Yeah, you'd be listening to people like us having the conversations. Yeah, we have the conversation <laughs> for you. Yeah. No offense. All you got to do is listen. <laughs> no offense Happy anybody. HappyRNewsTeam.com. Yeah. Pe- people, you know we love you. We're glad that we're having you listen. Uh, we want to keep doing this for you. Keep supporting us. Tell me how much you hate the old tubester. <laughs> tell, tell me how dirty I can be on a regular happy hour news team podcast. I was going to say, you've been, you've been pretty tame tonight, uh, well, I, I don't I'm know what the hell got I'm in my element here, you. people. I'm oh, in my element. Okay. Like, we're, yeah. we're a pretty good yin and yang. Oh, no, no, no. You, you keep them in check, Jason. Have you listened to Cocaine and Hookers? No, I haven't. You're missing out. That's why I'm saying I think I'm the yin to your yang. Listen to Happy Hour News Team for Shuby. And, like, if you want to give me some hate mail, fucking give me hate mail. If you want to tell me how much you love me and want me to keep doing it, Here do he goes. It. Here he, he goes. Li- he likes to hear that people love him. And if you want me to show my butthole, I'll show my butthole. <laughs> I'll do it for you people. You are my people. <laughs> okay. What? Okay. 22 minutes of use. We are going to go over <laughs> maintenance on vehicles. All right, we've all we're seen gonna, we've all seen that fucking check engine light, right? Yes, if your check engine and the light is on, it's probably too late. Well, it's not too late because like I've had things for where Jason's E coded and it was something so simple and stupid. But here's four easy ways to make a car last longer. Keep it clean. You know, it may you know, take it through a car wash, vacuum it out, you know, wash all that road, salt, mud, whatever gunk, bugs, tar on it. Salt. Get, salt. Get it off there. Get like, and I'm talking like get up underneath, wash the fender wells out, wash the frame off. I mean, I know it can be a little frustrating to get down on your hands and knees underneath the car. Get it off. Get- I mean, at the at the beginning of the year, like beginning of spring. Get that shit off as soon as you can. Get the nooks and crannies. Treat yeah. it like you were giving yourself a shower. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Jason. Lighten it up. I mean, take all your unnecessary weight out, Jason. Like hey, if, you never if know you, if you're if gonna you, need some shit. If you don't it's need a three quarter ton, it was built to handle it. Okay, she's he's, a she's he's a big jealous. Girl. He's jealous. He doesn't have a three quarter. ton. I actually have two three quarter tons there. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, yeah you you know what's gonna be crazy when the old i'm not even near the payload well no but it does i i do get it that it does help with fuel efficiency longevity of your vehicle like you know okay put it this way if you've got your fuel tank on the back of your pickup which sometimes you do because you're a farmer you you need it i mean let's face it you absolutely need it how many gallons 125 roughly okay but, so that's eight eight pounds per gallon yes yeah, so you're looking at 800 pounds when it's all oh no, no that's more about than a thousand that's about 1200 at, pounds yeah yeah so anyways but you don't carry that round year round it's just usually during the winter when you guys don't have access to your service vehicle and all that stuff right yeah basically uh in the summertime we'll be fully stocked out at the farm with number two fuel warm weather fuel yep in the cold weather, we don't stock up a lot of cold yeah. so, fuel. But so. you don't leave that fuel tank on there. No. That's what we're getting at here, people, is get rid of excess weight. Lighten your vehicle up. I mean... Eat a salad. Yes. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, I may not be the skinniest mini in the world, but you know what? Every once in a while, old Schubster does have to come and eat a salad and do a push-up. You know, start slow. What we mean by that is between breakfast and cleaning up check on your online life start your car you know let it warm up warming up getting the oil through circulated is a good thing let it warm up for five minutes you know even in the and i'm not saying in the summertime because that oil is but in the wintertime let your car warm did you don't hop in it and take off see let it warm up there was a something that came out i don't know if you guys read this or not, but they say actually warming your car up, letting it warm up in the winter is bad. That's just these freaking panty ways environmentalists talking shit. Well, yeah, I would say in our cold climate. Now, if you were down 
into a warmer climate. I would say maybe Nebraska. No, they're pretty even, cold even too. Further but, like Oklahoma, Texas. But yeah, if you get down to where it's never really under forty or something, fired up. You oh see yeah, oil pressures up. Everything looks good. Get well, I'm just saying here in North Dakota where it's fucking balls ass cold and but when it's cold you like you need that oil to get warm so that it's flowing properly you like to get that everything kind of warmed up well, even before if, you put any real stress to it even if you're not moving that your uh, flex plate moving that uh, torque converter will move the fluid around in there enough to get a little bit of heat in that transmission. And that's really where warming up a vehicle comes into play, you know, like getting that oil moved around, like whether it's in the motor or the transmission, you know, and getting a little bit of heat into it before you start moving it because steel is brittle when it's cold. Well, tell what does plugging your car in do then to people who might not have a block heater or even know what the fuck a block heater is? Well, a lot of what it does is it keeps the oil from getting extremely thick and stiff. It also warms up the coolant. And just by having everything warmed up, it lets things start more, move more easily. So it takes a lot of stress off of your battery and it lets it fire up quicker. Well, also a warm engine is already closer to operating temperature so it's going to fire easier well just like here it says let your car idle 30 to 60 seconds after you start to allow the oil to get up to temperature flow through the engine and you know like what that means is it's taking all your oil has drained down there's just a thin skim of oil on all the internal parts of your engines people yeah that's not like it, submersed in oil yeah, for but anybody what, who don't but know what that. The, what this is doing 30 seconds to 60 seconds to a minute it's allowing it to get all the way up to the top of the engine to start lubing the rockers which are the last thing to be lubricated on an engine and you got to think it goes through your uh, your crank your rods your camshaft your lifters your push rods and then up to your rockers and valves well, and the other thing is, by warming up your vehicle, you might catch something or hear something, notice something before you're halfway down the road, and all of a sudden, uh-oh, we have a problem. But it goes, and call me a little weird for this, but I I look at a lot of vehicles as sort of a living, breathing thing. If you were to take your horse out and you were going to, go run it you're not going to take it right out of the pasture and just go run the crap out of it you're going to warm it up let it get a sweat just like boxers when they're going into the ring they work up a sweat they work it up in the locker room you know they they always talk about guys oh well, looks even, like he came out cold you know even people too yep i mean when you're going to run you don't just Get outside and start running. You you walk, go up to a jog, and then you start running. Yep. I mean, it's the same with cooling down. You don't just stop. Well, and last but not least, on this, to help your car live a little bit longer, floor it is the thing. Don't just get in it, floor it. You know, get back to the thing of uh, let it warm up. But it is good to redline your car once in a while. To get that carbon build up out. And it helps uh, reduce mi- misfires. You know, can uh, clean out your combustion chamber or your throttle body. And then there's also good products out there like Seafoam that is designed to eat that carbon up. And then there's uh, like Marvel Mystery Oil. Uh, there's a few good products out there that actually do work. If you want to check out Project Farm on YouTube, he has videos of how well these products work. And Seafoam is the real deal McCoy. It does work. I mean, because a clean engine is a happy engine. You never see a guy rebuild an engine and have his hands all greasy and all dirty and be working on other shit and then coming back and putting pistons and bearings in. No, it's like a doctor's office. When you put together an engine and you're doing everything, assembling it, you keep that shit as sterile as you can 
the oil as clean as you can until that engine's in the motor, in the car, fired up. Yeah, it's amazing what just regular maintenance and just following some of these little simple tips can get you down the road tens, if not a hundred thousand miles longer than oh yeah than you would yeah. if you were regular to take regular care oil of it. change. I mean, one of the girls that I work with, she's like Russell, can you come over here and uh, fill up my uh, tire? I'm like. Okay, this girl's got a flat tire. Old Shuby's got you, baby. You know? <laughs> so I go over there, and I'm like, well, which tire is it? She's like, right front. I'm like, well, I was just out looking at your pickup. The right front doesn't look lower. You sure it's not like the back left? I'm like, she's like, no, it's the right front. It's two pounds low. I'm like, oh, great. One of these people. Like, this isn't a goddamn drag car running 12 fucking pounds of air in the tires, and it's down to 11 pounds, and you might think that, you know, it's like, whatever. Like, I kind of got mad, like. <laughs> but, and then she's like, well, the other t- side's one pound low. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, bitch? Yeah, watch watch when you go down the road sometime. Just yeah. watch your tire pressure monitor yeah. how much it changes with temperature. Yeah. Yep. And so, anyways, whatever, man. I'm like, okay, she's got a pretty nice pickup. Like, whatever, I'll. Go take care of it for her. So I go over there. I put two pounds of air in one tire, one pound of air in the other tire. And, like, I'm scanning through her thing, and I come up, and it's, like, 9 or 10% oil left, percentage left. And it's, like, I know, like, I run good synthetic oil in my in my pickups. And I run, you know, like in my newer pickups, I should say, I run good synthetic oil that's rated to go 7,500 miles. But oil's cheap, people. I change that shit at 2,000, sometimes 3,500 miles. Like, I'm not even doing, what like, half of what they say. And I'm changing that shit. Here's my advice to you. Next time you go to check the tire, take her out with you and show her how to do that. Yep. Because I've run into people that absolutely don't know how to put air in a tire. And they ask you, could you could you help me fill this tire? You know, it, it happened to me one time out at the local convenience store. There was a guy and a gal. Neither one of them knew how to add air to a tire. And I'm thinking, like... That's our fucking education system. They don't have any, you right. know... Right there's the elimination of shop woodworking class. Shop woodworking, fucking homec. Uh, homec. I I think they still have welding. I hope they still have welding. I mean, I took woodworking. I fucking loved it. You see this table here? I made this. Well, I designed it. Can't see it, and I made it. No, but you guys can. Yeah. And welding. We that's it. that's what I do now. It's I mean it's and it's all because of school. I loved home ec, but it was, you know, I liked it a lot more when you got to eat. But you, you went for the chicks. That's what you went well, for. Well, that too, whatever they made. They made, they knew how to cook, and I just kind of mixed in with everybody. If I would went to yeah. home ec, that might have eliminated a few arguments. See, it's, you know, that's really our, Jason. Our school systems need to bring back these basic. Hey, Jason, you know, is it like, is that why you and your sister really can't cook? My sister can. Then how come she always smells like hot dog water? Uh, that's a good question. She has accidents when she's cooking. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Now. But you know what? I might not be able to cook, but my wife can and my good buddy can. And that gets me through life. That's all right, as long as you make and, a turd the, the next Schwan- day. And the Schwann's man can cook. He the Schwann man comes by every freaking other day, every week. Every other week. Yeah, every other week, Schwan Man's come by and Jason hits him up. People, on the next cat podcast, we will bring you why going green with vehicles is a bad idea and how you need to be going to the goddamn salvage yard. That's all I'm going to say about that. Recycle, reduce, restore. Well, we started out and now I have Shandy Pants here, Happy Hour News. Sanchez is home doing his Sanchez-y thing. We decided we're going to do a bonus episode again. Got to thank Mr. Luthley, Mr. Uh, Shuby Shuby, 
he's been a regular here on Happy Hour News, you know, telling it like it is. One of these days, we gotta invite our crazy Scottish friend McGregor over. McGregor. Oh, that guy, he's wild. Well, what about the cocaine hookers for me? Well, that's fine, but I know this guy, he put on quite a show. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, I think we have a sponsor for this episode. This, this episode, of, this bonus episode of Happy Hour News brought to you by... I got a good idea.